Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful day here in Mahali Chandigarh. Uh, we got to celebrate Independence Day yesterday, which was an absolutely wonderful day, beautiful weather. And uh, But we're going to go ahead and jump right into today's uh, lesson, sermon, uh, uh, compilation, if you will. And we're talking about a blind man in John chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. But first, I want to talk about an illustration that I've heard a couple of times before and just kind of go at that from a little bit of a different angle. I've, I've heard before uh, a story an Indian sage had told, and it was about an elephant, and there were several blind men that had come up to the elephant. And uh, one of them was touching the leg, one of them was touching the tail, one of them was touching the side, one of them was touching the trunk. And uh, somebody asked them, describe what you're touching. And so one that's at the leg says it's, it's a really round, uh, muscular, but wrinkly piece of, uh, of, of flesh that I feel here. It's really hard. It's really tough. And uh, then they say, okay, what about you that's at the back part of it? And he's feeling the tail and he says, oh, it's kind of stringy and, and, and hair. And, and he's describing it that way. And another one that's at the middle, he he said he's feeling the side of the elephant. He says, oh, it's a, it's, no, you guys are all wrong. It's, it's very broad. It's very wide and, and it's very long. And, and, and I can hear uh, a heartbeat and, and, and there's so much more to this elephant than that. And then the one at the trunk says, no, you guys are all crazy. I can feel that it's flexible and it moves and it turns. And, and the story goes about to give a point, and the point that is trying to be made is that all people can feel the elephant. They can give a description of it, and yet all of their descriptions are different. And so the sage then goes on to say that's the same way it is with people. When they're trying to discover who God is, they see different parts of him. And so it doesn't matter if one is Hindu and one is Muslim and one is Christian and one is Zoroastrian. And we all are worshiping the same God. But the reality is, is that's a false narrative. It's a false narrative because we're talking about blind people. We need somebody who can see the elephant to describe the elephant to us and to say, you are right, you are right, you are right, and you are right. Those are not just the only aspects of the elephant. The elephant is this, and then that person described, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is 100% man, so he identifies with us, and he's 100% God, so he knows all the intricate facets of who God is, and what he tells us is exactly what there is. We don't need to follow after blind people telling us what their truth is of what they think they've seen. And so with that in mind, let's keep our hearts, our eyes, our minds everything open to allow Jesus to be the one to help us see just as he does in the passage of scripture we read today. And so John chapter nine, verses one through seven, this whole chapter deals with uh, the blind man and his story. We're just gonna take it in bits and pieces. Today, we're just gonna talk uh, about John. John chapter nine, verses one through seven. Uh, Xavier, go ahead. As he passed by, he saw a man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with mud, 
And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means Senate. And he went and washed and came back seeing. Right. That's absolutely brilliant. And so there's just two things that I kind of want to elaborate on within this passage of Scripture. And of course, anything that can be added would be absolutely excellent. And I just kind of want to open it up with two different questions. And that is, uh, point number one is who sinned? That's the question that the disciples asked. And so my question to you is, why is this our default mode? Why is this our default setting? That when we see somebody who's different than what we perceive as what should be normal, why is our automatic response, what did this person do wrong in order for that to be the effect? Let me elaborate. Why is it if someone is missing an arm, somebody is blind, somebody catches COVID-19 or has cancer, do we automatically assume that that person or their family is evil and or they greatly sinned? I just think it's from false teachings. False teachings? Like a perspective that we've been given over and over again by people that are constantly... Uh, making us think that this is exactly what it is so that that way um, maybe they're manipulating us to follow them more because they're yeah. the perfect one. Or And then sometimes the teachings are like back in the day, I don't know which century, but like when you would call somebody a uh, person of spiritualness to your home and in order to rid out, like say you had scarlet fever, mm -hmm. in order to rid out scarlet fever, you would pay that person a portion of money and then do whatever they say to do. So to me, that's a false teaching because that person, that baby or human being, you know, may be just sick because there are viruses that are airborne. There is bacteria everywhere. We, we can't escape virus or bacteria because it, it grows all around us. Yeah. So to me, it could be a moneymaker. Sure. And people want a, uh, a solution to the problem that they are going through. And so they will seek out people on purpose to find the solution to the issue that is going on and in return pay that person money. So over time it has become a money gimmick. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts? Um, well, I think I agree with the false teaching aspect. I mean, mentioned to you and all that other times, so not too long ago, I think, maybe 200, 300 years ago, um, that, or maybe, longer than that i can't remember but we used to have the insane asylums and stuff like that and we'd put in people with disabilities because we thought they were insane because they were different because right. they were born with a deformity their head was misshaped their arm was shorter than they was supposed to their leg was shorter than it was supposed to and with that it was taught that they must be evil vile people and need to be locked up in these prisons mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. to quote unquote help them even though it didn't really help, and we were taught that anyone with a disability is automatically someone that's evil and awful person. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? Uh, is this a is this a good way to think, or is this a, a like we've said a, a money maker, an empowerer for somebody who wants to try and collect people and make them fit their? Uh, uh, lifestyle, like Adolf Hitler, for instance, like you're talking about people within this 
the schematic of yeah. insanity. And so if you didn't like the way your wife was treating you technically in the West, you could get a couple of people to agree with you that she had done a couple of things you didn't like and have her committed to an insane asylum, even though she was perfectly fine. Uh, it was just a way to get your way or to try and uh, increase your power and get other people to submit to your will. And this is uh, this has been going on for centuries. I mean, this is hundreds of thousands of years this has been going on. And we can plainly here see a direct uh, uh, correlation, a normal reaction, the disciples saying, we see a person who's blind. He's been born blind. From the, from the time of his birth, he was blind. And we perceive that this is not normal for him to be blind. And so automatically we discriminate against such a person because of their malady because we're uncomfortable or because we want something. And so I, I just made a few points, a few notations here of our reactions. And I want to say that these are not righteous reactions. These are just human reactions that we play. Uh, we're saddened when, a, uh, when we are whole and somebody that we're close to, especially a close family member or a close friend, if they're not whole, if they have a malady, like if they have cancer or if they get COVID-19 or if they end up uh, getting injured in some capacity, the fact that we're whole and they're not, that saddens us. And so how do we react? Uh, in that case, we say things like, well, it's not fair. This isn't fair that my spouse was given a malady or a sickness. And so it's not fair. This isn't fair. Uh, and then we start trying to find people to blame for it. We start looking at, recently we've started looking at what are the job conditions that the person was in? Was it a condition that caused them to get cancer, black lung disease because they worked in the coal mines? Was it because of the materials that they worked around if they were in construction and, and they're hitting the wall and asbestos flies into the air and it gets in their lungs and so therefore they get cancer? And so we sue the company that we work for for 100 years or for 400 years or for 40 years or 10 years and we sue the company because we want reparations. We want what is our due because this isn't fair. Another reaction that we give is, is we, if this is a stranger or a lesser no person to us, they must be a sinner. They must be evil. We've got to disassociate with them. We cannot be around this person because can you believe that person has asthma? And so therefore, uh, there's obviously something going on in their family. Karma has reacted to them and properly is taking the care of this family because somebody sinned and so therefore that's why this person has asthma. And so what we do is we just remove, we stay away from those people because that happened. And so it's obviously a curse that's upon them. Uh, if we're uber righteous, we take up the cause in a way that we say, oh, it must be God's fault. This is God that's doing this because he's an evil God. He's not really fair and just. And like the Christians say, he's a loving God. There's no way he's a loving God because how could a loving God really react this way to people? And we wonder, or we do these things, we, we think these thoughts, and, and we continue to perpetuate them by having gossip sessions. We sit around with other people and we talk about it, don't we? And we say, oh, did you see so-and-so? Oh my goodness, they have this sickness. And you know what? I heard that they're really a bad person because they had done this and this and this. And that's obviously why they're sick. And then that person goes home and they tell their spouse. And then the spouse goes out and she goes walking with her friends in the evening. And they all sit together and they talk. And we perpetuate these rumors that make other people look evil and bad 
because we're uncomfortable with the way somebody looks or we're uncomfortable with dealing with sickness. Are there any thoughts, uh, any other thoughts that you have along these lines or, or am I like way off base here? No, I mean, I, I would agree with where you're coming from. So another thing that we do is we also wonder what's wrong, what the wrong thing is that caused uh, the sickness or the illness or the blindness and we blame things. Karma be, has become such a big word these days. Oh, it's karma. Oh, see, this is karma. And so we say that because we want to know how we can avoid doing the very thing that caused this person to become blind or caused this sickness to happen. And so we're not doing it out of a respect for that person and saying, oh, I hope they get better. We're actually self-serving ourselves in these situations, looking out for ourselves. How can I avoid getting COVID-19? If I can avoid it, then I am a righteous person. Right, and, and how we do it now is you can do tests. You can do blood tests. So you can do just like a simple blood test and they'll pull your blood and then tell you what is all inside of you. And as you age, what's gonna happen to you at each age. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, that's fearful. Like that's absolutely really scary. Like, uh, I mean, you know, but there's all types of tests that are out there of, you know, are you going to be, uh, you can't tolerate gluten or are you <laughs> going to have a massive heart attack? And if you are at what age, will you be ever diagnosed with diabetes? You know, will there be a sudden on-site eyesight problem right. that would come into your future? Will you ever have uh, cancer. I mean, there there are those tests that they doctors are measuring up to see. So I mean, you there is that capability of doing it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're really going to have it. Right. And when we're trying to think, oh, the doctors have the answer. We can work on this in, internally. We forget too. There's an external, ulterior that needs to be worked on as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it takes two. And there's just things that. When, I mean, the blind man here, he was born blind. What is the cause? Who knows? He was born blind. Was it something his mom did while she was carrying the baby? Who knows? Right. But the baby was born blind. That's all we know. And it's not the baby's fault that the baby was born blind. It just happens. It just... Those things are just not explainable. And a, a person with a handicap, you know, the mom, especially carrying that baby and your baby is born handicapped, they want to know the answer. You know, was it a drug that I used? Was it a medication I was on? Was it because I um, had multiple partners before I allowed myself to get pregnant? Was it because of all the abortions I have had that has caused this one baby to have a handicap and therefore a mom that's carrying this baby or a surrogate that's carrying the baby will feel so bad on their own selves because they produced a baby that may not look like everybody else had, had a deformity or what have you yeah yeah but and the and some of the tests that you're talking about even that have come out and I know I noticed this I don't notice it as much here in India but in in the West I've noticed the major one in America specifically is this 23 and me and to tell what my genetic code says so that that way I can predict what could happen. It's almost uh, a scientific fortune telling, if you will, really is, is what is what's going on here. And part of these reactions that we give is out of embarrassment. Embarrassment really causes us to react in a funny way sometimes, doesn't it? 
Like if I'm embarrassed of something that I've done myself, I, I can become inclusive, like go into myself. I, I have, I can get a headache. I can, I can separate myself and go off into my room for days and weeks and months and never see anybody else because of an embarrassment. And can you imagine how we react if we do have somebody in our life that has an ailment, uh, that has uh, a retardation or who has, we treat, these are people that I'm talking about. These are human beings just like you and I are, and they may just have a minor difference in their lives. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to treat this blind man any different than I'm treating you disciples who are seen as quote unquote normal. I'm going to treat this man with love. And the reason this happened is so God would be praised. And, and I think these are important things. Uh, but we have these phraseologies that have developed in the English language. And they're things like, um, why are you treating me like I have the plague? Or I was treated so badly, they treated me as if I was a leper. We're talking about ailments in a phraseology that talks about a disease that happens that now scientifically can be taken care of uh, through medicines and those kinds of things. And yet what we do is we treat people and we use these adjectives to describe the way we treat them to push them off into isolation because it becomes a normal part of our everyday life to treat people poorly. Another way we react, like the disciples, when they say who was who is at fault, the man or his parents, is um, we come to this logical conclusion in our mind that a loving God in all his sovereignty is going to protect his people, or we even lower the bar and we say, if he's really a loving God, he's going to protect a good person. Now, whose measurement of what a good person is? That's, you know, that's definitely not something that everybody can just, oh, they're a good person. I mean, that set of serial killers sometimes they go, wow, I can't believe that guy was a serial killer. He was a really good person. I mean, he was a good neighbor. I didn't know this was really what was going on. We don't know the deep, deep, dark secrets of people. We, but what we do automatically do is we love to just place the blame on God. Oh, this is God's fault. However, we know and even proclaim that nothing good happens unless you work hard. You have to be a person who overcomes obstacles. You have to be in a journey of faith over fear. And we, we write self-help books that say these kinds of analogies or these adjective words of overcomer, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to work hard. We know that hardships are going to come. And yet our automatic blame when those hardships come is on God. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we just, auto, why do you think when it's the unknown, our immediate reaction is it's God's fault? It's just easier to blame. Because, yeah. because we're, we're wanting God to work for us. Ah, there we go. We want God, we want God to be over God, right? Mm -hmm. So logically, we know that hardship builds character and overcoming limitations is even awe-inspiring. There was this gentleman out of Australia that was born like no arms, no legs, and he became a, a public speaker. And people would just look at him uh, come out on the stage and they just see the stump of a man. It's his body and it's his neck and head. And he talks about his faith in God, which is absolutely awe-inspiring to me. It's fantastic. But he tells you these limitations aren't because of God's 
hatred for me. He loved me. He created me. And I am proud that he is my Lord and Savior, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. How can he proclaim such things when we would otherwise look at him and say, as Adolf Hitler would have said, that person needs to be killed. This is the way we react. This is human nature of the way we react. We, we say things like, look at what him, human ingenuity can overcome. Positive thinking will bring you through a rough day at the office. Self-talk. Stand in front of the mirror before you go and make a sales call and give yourself a positive pitch and talk about how great of a person you are and you'll have a good day. Trust in your heart. Your heart will never fail you. Thanks, Disney, for teaching us that one. Believe in yourself and, you're, you will, and in yourself, you will heal your body and your mind. And even scientists have started saying, if you pray, prayer works because it's self-talk. And you can heal your body by this self-talk. And what are all of these things? But they are statements of personifying human beings as a savior, recognizing hardships as a part of life, and it must be God's fault. Therefore, I cannot trust in God, but I can trust in doctors. I can trust in science. I can trust in somebody who will give me aid. In other words, we are no different than what Jesus was talking about in the lesson that we had last week, John chapter eight, verse 44, where he says, you are the son of your father, you are the son of the devil because what you're trying to do constantly is elevate yourself above me. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this uh, line of thinking? So secondly, the second point, works of God, Jesus says, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the works of God might be displayed in him. He was born with an ailment so God can prove himself through this man. Why is this not our default mode? Why do we not automatically say, God is so great, if I get COVID-19, it's gonna be so that he can receive praise. I remember a couple of years ago having a heart attack. I remember it partly. And I remember... The pain and the agony that I had in that moment of just, I couldn't even lift my arm, my left arm. I mean, it was completely numb. It was pain shooting down it. I, I got sick to my stomach. Um, I, I got out to the car. My wife takes me to the hospital and I'm sitting there. They're doing tests on me and I'm having a heart attack. And I can remember in that moment going, what is going on? Is this is this for me? God, is it my time to die? And I can remember God saying to me, I'm not finished walking with you yet. And I had such a revelation of peace in that moment as I was praying and God spoke to me, I'm not finished walking with you yet. I just rested the rest of the day as the doctors continued to perform tests. Now, Blair was freaking out a little bit. No, she was freaking out a lot. And as I would, if it was her, I mean, there's no blame there. But the reality is I, I had peace. And within a few hours, Blair had a peace. And it was just, if the story ended there, it makes a really pretty story of sickness that turned into healing that I recovered from a heart attack and I was made whole. 
But that's not the end of the story. The story continues on that a few weeks later, we went to Amritsar and we're walking past the Golden Temple on our way to the Partition Museum. And if you've ever been to Amritsar, you know, as you're, you're, you walk this long pathway and we're walking past and I see a fire truck and I took a picture of it and we're going toward the Partition Museum. And all of a sudden I hear this gentleman yelling, how is this possible? How is this possible? How is this possible? And he runs not up to me, but runs up to my wife. And I was like, whoa, this guy better not be talking. What does this guy think? Who does he think he is talking to my wife? And I'm just like, why is there somebody? I have never seen this person in my life. What is going on? And he's, how is this possible? And he calls his family over. And next thing we know, we're surrounded with 20 different people in Amritsar, Punjab. And the man goes, your husband is okay. How is this possible? I saw you praying and you were mentioning the name of Yeshu. You were mentioning the name of Jesus in your prayers. How is it possible that your husband is healed? Is it that Jesus healed your husband? And Blair says, yes, it is. Absolutely. And he says, will you pray for my family? Because my mom was in the bed right next to your husband in the uh, cardiac care unit of Fortis Hospital in Mahali. And she's still in the hospital today. This is two, three weeks later. Will you pray for her? Because I want to see her healed. Your husband's walking around. How is this possible? And a smile on his face. And a smile on his face. <laughs> and we could look at this sickness, this heart attack that I had as uh, hatred of God for me. Or we can look at it as what Jesus says here. It was done so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So I'm going to ask this question another way of why is this not our default mode, but why is it so difficult for us to believe that God would allow us to suffer in order to purify us before we reign with him eternally in heaven? Why is that such a difficult thing for us? Why do we struggle with this idea that God would love us so much but allow us to be purified through sickness and disease and hardship and enemies, people coming against us and attacking us and wars and rumors of wars and, and hurricanes and typhoons and earthquakes. Why can those things not be purifying us to make us into more godly people that will then reign with him in proper judgment and in proper love for one another? I always think of like cause and effect Huh. That teaching of cause and effect of something happens if you you know there's an Murphy's effect law. yeah Murphy's law a cause and effect so if God yeah. caused the world to come into existence or the universe to come to an existence then the effect is all put back on him well it's mm -hmm. God's fault he's the effect so if I don't want to acknowledge that he's the creator well he's gonna cause doom on me if i want to acknowledge that god is the creator well he's putting a curse on me he he's shaming me he's dooming me you yeah, know yeah. he really wants me to be bound for hell because he's taking all my all my rights away all my privileges away my family members are dying and yeah. it's because of god so i always think of the cause and effect mm. because even like if it's a hot light bulb and I'm going to touch that light bulb, right. it's going to be hot. It's going to send triggers through my finger, touching that light bulb, through my nervous system, up to my brain to say, that's hot. And maybe even melt my skin. Maybe even melt my skin. But if I have no feeling in my fingers, 
could have found? I wouldn't know. Right. I would have no idea until someone said, would come and, oh, you're really burnt. Or you could smell the flesh burning. You could smell or, the flesh burning, yeah. possibly. And then a lot of people just say, oh, God. Mm. Oh, God. That's such a common thing that I hear a lot of people say, oh, God. Well, is it just an expression? Or is it in that moment of crying out, of, is it his fault? Or is it an expression of saying, oh, God, yeah. help me? Yeah. You know, where where is that, oh, God, coming from? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this line of thinking? Well, life isn't supposed to be easy. We, Like Mommy said, we want God to work for us instead mm. of us working for God. Mm. We think if God's created us, then that means he's in charge of everything. And so it's his fault that I got hurt. It's his fault that I did this. We don't realize that the God we're talking about here is not like any other God. He gives us this thing called free will. <laughs> yeah. That all humans have. And it's the choices you make that's what makes the difference. It's not God's fault. He created us and he gave us the option to worship him. Other humans chose not to worship him and created other religions mm -hmm. based on the fact that they were not willing to trust in the God we believe in. Creator God. Creator God. And so they created their own creator gods. Mm. And in that, they think if the God of the Christians is so great and he created all of us, then why does he let this to happen? And it's, well, if he did all that, then why did he let at that time of, in the time of Noah, all those people do all the evil things they did. Yeah. He let them do it for so long and then he got fed up with it and wiped them out with a flood because they had chosen to do that. Mm. Noah had chosen differently. Righteously. Righteously. And that's why he was saved from the flood. Yeah. And why humans are still alive on the earth. Yeah. Because Noah had chosen that. Yeah. Other people hadn't chosen that. So it's not that God created those sinners during the time of Noah to be like that, so that way he had an excuse to wipe them out. He let them choose whatever they want, and they chose to be evil. And so in that, he got fed up with their evilness, them being evil, and he wiped them out. Because he doesn't want us to be that way. Right. And I'm sure those people at that time were blaming God for what he had created and all this other stuff, but it's not his fault. It's... Human. And we don't want to acknowledge this, but human is fallible. Yeah. We're not perfect. Yeah. And even learning science and stuff like that, scientific laws aren't always going to be true. Like it's, it starts out with a hypothesis, then it's multiply tested, it becomes a theory, and then once it's proven true over and over and over again, it becomes a scientific law. But then later one day, the scientific law might be completely negated. Right. Because it's human experimentation. It's human idea and thought. It's not perfect. And put it in a box. And put it in a box. Like yeah. a vacuum that it's, this is the way it's happening in this scenario and it's yeah. not given real world application all the time. And we can't always practice it all the time because it's not, on, we can't practice it on, in this earth. Right. It's just an idea and people think it's true so it's proven to be a law. But we haven't tested it yet because we don't have the ability to yet. Right. And but so, who gave us the ability to think, and, and this is kind of a sidetrack yeah. item, but who gave us the ability to even come up with these kinds of thoughts and ideas in the first place? God did. God did. 
Absolutely. Yeah. God's the creator, we're the inventor. God's the creator, we're the inventor. Exactly. Are there any other thoughts on this, this question? Because Xavier was alluding to the Old Testament, and I always believe that Jesus is constantly pointing to the Old Testament to prove that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior. And so we need to take parts of the Old Testament and we need to study them. It is not an excluded book. It is a book that we need to familiarize ourselves with. And it is a and, and all 39 books of the Old Testament are important. And the book of the Old Testament that I want to talk about today is the book of Job. Because this book, we don't know the exact date of the book of Job's writing, but we can, uh, there are some uh, uh, theologians and some scholars who have studied it, and the, the deciding time of when Job lived was about the same time as a father Abraham, whom we talked about last week. And if Job lived during the same time as father Abraham, and we say this is the old, we know for a fact, archaeologically, this is the oldest poem that we have. The book of Job is the oldest poem we have that is written down. And we know it hasn't been changed over the 6,000 years since it was written because we have found fragments of old writings. We found the Dead Sea Scrolls. We found all these things. And even to modern translations, we see that those translations have stayed the same and they've stayed true. We've compared and we've contrasted and we've seen this has not changed. And what we see in the book of Job is we see not a feel-good story. We don't see a story where a man lived on this earth and then just and, and he had a few sufferings and then just jumped to the conclusion of chapter 38, 39, and 40 and see that he was given back twice of what was taken away from him. We cannot just jump ahead. We have got to see here's what happened with Job. Job was a man of great wealth. He had 10 kids. He had a wife. He had animals. He had servants. He had all kinds of, he was one of the richest men of his day. And we see in the story of Job, just in the first couple of chapters, we see his wealth taken away from him. So he's all of a sudden poor. We see his animals killed. His cattle, his camels, his sheep, his goats, they're killed. He loses them. And just because he's a wealthy man and a businessman, can we just say he uh, separated his feelings and his emotions for his animals and his flocks? I would almost fair to say if he was a normal human being, there was a animal that he loved that was a part of those flocks. And he maybe even named it. That this was my cow beef stew and this was my camel that was, you know, kofi. And uh, this was my, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you know, he, say again, <laughs> David Morgenstern and, and his animals are lost, but not just his animals are lost, not just his herds, but the servants that were watching them were killed and only one escaped to come back and tell Job. So now not only did he lose his animals, we've had people that have come and cleaned our house for us before. And I love those women that have come and washed our floors and washed our dishes, not in some kind of sexual desired love, but a love of a man for a sister that just is like, I want to make sure she's cared for and provided for and that she stays healthy and that things are good in her life. And I cannot believe for a moment that Job didn't feel the same way for all of his servants. And they all died except for one who was able to come back and say, all of your wealth has been destroyed, Job. And then at another time, his children were all off in a place and all 10 of his children died. 
and only one servant made it back. Now he, and Job loved his children so much that he made sacrifices for his children. He honored God and he said, protect my children, be with my children and here his children are taken away from him. And not only that, he then gets sick himself. And he gets so sick that he has boils popping up on his body and he is in such pain that the only way he can get relief is he breaks clay pots and he cuts the sores out of his skin in order to give himself some relief. What was Job's sin? Nothing. 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 Okay. That would hurt, you're right. Absolutely no sin. There is no sin. But this was a test that came from Satan, not from God. God already said at the beginning, have you seen my servant Job? There's nothing you can do to him that he will turn and curse God. Nothing. And Satan then comes and attacks Job. And what are the... Huh? With permission from God. With permission from God. And he comes and he attacks Job. And he attacks him again, and he attacks him again. And what does Job do? Does he curse God? No. No. He says, I will continue to praise God. It is from the, from the dust that I was created, and it's to the dust that I'm going to return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we sang that song today, Danya Teranam. Uh, or in English, it's um, blessed be the name. Blessed be the name, and, and in English they say, uh, "You give and take away. You give and take away." My heart will choose to say, "Blessed be your name," and and that's exactly what Job is saying here. So why why do we have such a hard time trusting God in the bad times? We think we know more than God. We want to be God ourselves. We think we're smarter, wiser. Maybe we even think that we're more beautiful than God. And as we read in the Old Testament again about Satan and his fall, we see that that's what he did. Satan is described as more beautiful than all of the other angels. And in his pride, he began to rise up and he began to start commanding and even deceived a third of the angels in heaven to follow after him. And as he did these things, God, he tried to rise up and come against God and say, I'm better than you are, God. And God says, I created you. I curse you. And he kicked him out of heaven and he landed on this earth. And him and his minions, him and his demons, they roam this earth with a complete 100% desirous passion that is inbuilt into their heart. And that is to be worshiped. They want us to worship them. They want us to praise them over God. They want to turn all of human creation to reject God and to worship them. And so they come in different idolatrous forms. They come in the forms of birds and elephants and people and scientists wanting to be worshiped and praised. Some of the references of Satan wanting to be worshipped are found in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, the temptation of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. But perhaps the reason 
the answer to the question of why is it so difficult for our default mode not to be the works of God might be displayed in us is because we really do follow after our father, the devil, as it was said in John chapter 8, 44. I'll say it again. And so the one with sight is saying to us, the one who can see is saying to us who are blind, come to me. I'm not worried about how you look. I'm not worried about how you're dressed. I'm not worried about how much money you have. I'm not worried if you're sick. I'm not worried. Uh, those things don't concern me. You're not an embarrassment to me. Jesus is saying, you're not an embarrassment to me. Come to me and I will heal you. He's saying, obey me. Did the, did the blind man obey Jesus? Like what are the things that Jesus did in this passage of scripture that the blind man obeyed him in? He went and washed in the pool of Siloam. Yeah, he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. Like, he didn't argue. We don't see an argument mentioned here. Oh, how dare you say that I go wash in the pool of Siloam. How about this? You think he could hear Jesus when he hawked up that loogie to spit it in the mud? And spits in the mud? And then all of a sudden he feels somebody putting something on his eyes? Yeah. It doesn't say that he stuck his hands up and said, how dare you touch me with dirt? I mean, that's the whole reason it's dirty, right? <laughs> and spit, spit spreads death. <laughs> and spit spreads death. But he was obedient and allowed Jesus to touch him and put this on him, on his eyes. And so as he was obedient, went to the pool of Siloam and washed, he was healed. And so can we be. Even if we're healed right now and we're in complete relationship with God and we say, I put my faith in Christ, what have you put your faith in Christ for? I have a few suggestions. Let's put our faith in Christ for our salvation. To take our sins away and to throw them as far as the east is from the west, not in a circle, but in a straight line that they'll never return again to us. Let's believe him when he says, that's exactly what I do. I will take your sins and remember them no more. How about we put our faith in God today for whatever is going to happen today? How about we put our faith in God for our future and what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and next month? Are we gonna have a job soon? Yes. By God's grace, a job is going to appear and we'll be able to make an income and we'll be able to have a roof over our head and clothes on our back. But in the meantime, God still takes care of me. Yeah. How about we put our faith in God for our work and for our livelihood? How about we put our faith in God for our family, for our parents, our spouse, our children, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, our siblings? We see things happening with them and it, Sometimes it embarrasses us. Sometimes it hurts us. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're happy. How about in all those moments, we put our faith in God to care for our family? How about we put our faith in God for our friends? Same kind of emotions for our family. Go there for our friends. Sometimes we have friends that are closer than family members. Why can we not put our faith in God for them? How about we put our faith in God for our health? And in moments that maybe I'm sick or ill or have some kind of problem happen some for healing, 
Conjunctivitis. For conjunctivitis. For a big, huge Job-like boils on my arm and my right side of my body right now. Why can God not heal me? Of course he can heal me. Does this, does, do these minor inflictions cause us to doubt who God is? No. They just make my faith grow even stronger in him. That, he, Wow. Can you believe he allows me to be hurt just like he suffered on the cross? In other words, he allows me a portion of his suffering. He allows me to taste a portion of his suffering that he paid the price for me so that that way I can be made whole in Christ alone. Wow. Let's not blame God, but let's see the work of God in every situation of our lives. We were singing a song earlier today, the So Will I. One Billion Reasons, I think it's by uh, Hillsong. Hillsong, sorry. But towards the end of the song, it starts singing about how Christ sacrificed everything. And then the lyrics go to say, if you gladly died to save them, then so will I. So us as believers, are we willing to gladly go out and sacrifice our lives, even going through sicknesses or cancer or anything like that? In die even, so others that have not had the chance to yet follow Christ hmm. be saved, have a chance to be saved Yeah, through our faith in Christ that we lead them even in our, encourage them even in our death. Yeah. Don't let death be something that's sorrowful for you personally because you're going to heaven. Right. So try your best to lead others because people say you can't take anything to heaven, but you can you can take other believers in Christ with you to heaven. Yeah. We'll all see each other in heaven. Absolutely. Are there any other thoughts on what we're talking about today? Any other uh, ideas of, of what God is saying through you in order to share with us uh, in this passage of Scripture? Uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Well, then I just have a simple uh, uh, thought for us as we close, and that's this. May the works of God be displayed in me today. May the works of God be displayed in me today. And I pray the same thing for you. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that we will all not blame God for everything and and trust God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. amen.